Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This to me is like the really fascinating material. We don't know what the answer is, but we're looking for patterns. I think we're looking at kind of a type of cosmic alchemy. The stories are amazing. Still, a lot of people don't know that this technology actually exists. The possibilities here are pretty mind-boggling. We can't just believe that it was. Back on Conspiracy Normal, we're back at Studio B. Studio B is a place to be. Uh, hopefully, Rob isn't in a coffin by the end of the night. Um, hope he's okay. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, you, you guys don't get to talk to Rob tonight. He, uh, he's he's not been feeling pretty. He's not been feeling well, man. So, Uh-oh. just uh, you know, send some good thoughts his way. Thoughts and prayers. But yeah, thoughts and <laughs> prayers. We can send your thoughts and your prayers. Uh, so we are here and we've got kind of an interesting show tonight i don't really know what to expect on this one because i'm pretty much letting surfiel taking the reins Uh-oh. on this one tonight the lunatics have taken over the asylum yeah yeah well we've got ren collier back hey everyone and i know ren was just here like two shows ago so, we, 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 you might have reached your quota for the year on Conspiracy Normal, Ren. I'm not sure. <laughs> Everyone already thinks we're a bunch of communists, man. We just, yeah. They're really going to think we're communists after tonight. And uh, his friend, Matt Ashley, who's never done a podcast before. Matt, welcome to Conspiracy Normal, man. Thanks. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, how do you know Ren? I know Ren from the uh, OTO Lodge. Okay. That's like a whole other podcast in and of itself right there. (laughs) Definitely is. is. Like, Ren's life is like six or seven different podcasts, I think. But uh, He seems to be something of a polymath. He is. He is. He is. And we're going to talk about, like, uh, you've you've got kind of like experts, kind of like... um, was like Russian uh, or Soviet psi expert, um, psi research. Yeah, so, all the uh, nice black experiments they were doing during the Cold War. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, awesome. We're, and, and we're going to get to that. But first, 
Wren, mm-hmm. you went down to Frankfort, Kentucky. You drove yourself down like 15 hours or something pretty mm-hmm. close to us, and you went to CryptidCon this weekend. Yep, and Frankfort, yeah, it was a... Uh, it was a really nice conference. Um, originally, I'd agreed to go because uh, some of the guys from the Cruise Them with Stake podcast and, and Gramerica were going to be there. Um, we all kind of wanted to meet up and have a good time. You know, I, I was kind of treating it as like, oh, well, you know, this will be fun. I'm, I'm not a super into cryptids guy. Like, yeah. you know, I, I love Bigfoot stuff and, and cryptid stuff in general, but I'm not like a serious cryptid researcher or anything. Um, so I wasn't expecting a whole lot from the conference, um, but it was actually way more esoteric and eclectic than I, I thought it would be. Um, I, I went down there expecting turds and tracks type stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it ended up being like I, I went there was a panel that I went to about uh, manifestations of the fairy realm um, that that Josh Kutchin would have loved. Uh, there was. Uh, a great like David Pilates talk. Uh, Travis Walton was there, so I got to meet him and and listen to a panel where he kind of went over his experiences and stuff. Um, so there there was quite a wide variety of uh of panels and talks there. I went to one about uh, the history of the Ouija board. So um, it was kind of all over the place. It was, it was way more enjoyable than I originally thought, and we had a great time. Oh yeah, man. We we were thinking about going, but I had some like things like life got in the way for mm-hmm. uh, for me, so we didn't get to we didn't get to go. But maybe next year. I know we're definitely gonna <laughs> try for Paramania down in Atlanta. So yeah, yeah, Paramania will be a lot. Of- Do you have the Bigfoot scatological update for us? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say that David Pilates has solved the entire uh, Bigfoot problem. Um, oh, <laughs> good incredible- for him. It's yeah, about so, had, it's about time somebody did. His uh, his panel was incredible. Um, oh, you, tell like us I, all about it, man. Because you you <laughs> sent some things to the word of the road go slack, but I I, I have to know some details on this because you know Pilates man. is very controversial, is the way that I would put it. Uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that really worship the guy, and there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that just think the guy's just a total asshole well you can be both (laughs) (laughs) so like you know i so i love pilates missing 411 stuff it's creepy it's fun it's uh scary it's like a great mystery um he also has kind of an abrasive personality um (laughs) it's it's not so much that he's a jerk but that that he's very um he's a cop i mean he's just very like assertive and you know i know what i know and i deal in facts and you know i don't speculate on stuff so his and i'm also like a fan of you know like master tier trolling of people especially bigfoot people so (laughs) with him going up on stage and telling all of these this room full of bigfoot researchers that uh you know and and i'm gonna paraphrase here a turd in a punch bowl is that what it was figuratively did a little bit okay yeah and you know I'm, i'm i'm gonna paraphrase here i'm not quoting david so please don't arrest me david but like um he basically (laughs) told them they were all idiots that (laughs) they don't actually do the research uh they don't conduct any of the research properly um they totally they suppress evidence that doesn't fit their narrative it's actually almost kind of like a like a ufo it reminded me like of some of the controversies in like ufo research Mm -hmm. um and, and his basic thing was that he went out to this uh uh, these sort of uh, Native American reservations, um, 
and on behalf of some apparently rich benefactors and did this Bigfoot research. And his takeaway from the whole thing, he's apparently got a white paper on a site that you can read, which I haven't had a chance to read yet. But his basic thing was they got DNA sample. Uh, they were able to collect a lot of hair using these uh, like traps, basically, uh, that were like scotch tape around a tree that they put like uh, McDonald's morning breakfast waffles in or pancakes in. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. Genius level stuff. I mean, this is galaxy brain level stuff. And <laughs> his his whole thing is that they're human. Like they're just like an off. They're like obviously if they human. like McDonald's <laughs> yeah. breakfast, they do. They love McDonald's breakfast. They're basically all human beings. Uh, all the hair samples came back human. Um, and that the the Native Americans have you know known about them for a long time and just consider them like a different tribe of Native Americans that are sort of like I don't know like wild men or whatever they kind of live right. on the woods and stuff. But he was basically like they're not apes like they have human faces. Uh, he he had these like forensic uh, you know like the sketch artist guy who did sketches of all the um, uh, witnesses who described it to him and you know the sketches all look human. And you know I sort of agree with the guy a little bit on some level. I just you know I also have a more esoteric view of it too and that i don't think they're uh entirely physical creatures but right um same here it it was it was still funny to hear him basically like just talking smack and all these bigfoot researchers you could just feel the tension in the room and then a guy had a stroke in the middle of the talk what like (laughs) i was like sitting over close to him he was standing up against the wall he just couldn't Um, take it he couldn't take the information (laughs) he couldn't take it 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 literally it literally blew his brain out. <laughs> he, what he just, like, in the hell? This guy, he was this old guy, he just like fell down. And oh. I mean, just like, just like <laughs> stiff. And, and I saw him looking and like his eyes were open, but I mean, he wasn't seeing anything. He was out of it. And then he oh. came to and his family, I guess, got him out of the building. And that, I mean, I hope he's okay. You know, they, I guess they took him to the hospital. Christ, but man. then David just starts, starts up the thing again, like doesn't even miss a beat. <laughs> Thinking of Bigfoot he, as a human being is way scarier to me than like some weird, you know, cryptid that doesn't mm-hmm. want to mess with us or something because we all know what people are capable of. That's that's way yeah, right. that's freakier. Yeah. Yeah. And then he went into the missing 411 stuff, I guess, because, you know, he has to or whatever. Um, and he was just going over case after case after case. And like, I started to fall asleep and like, it got to the end of it and he went over like i think like almost 20 minutes over his allotted time like cut into another panel that was supposed to come on (laughs) it was just it was just i mean just masterful trolling and um for people you know pilates big thing is that he doesn't speculate but he was getting awfully close to basically saying the missing 401 stuff was uh ufos really yeah like he he brought up one case, and then he brought up the fact that there had been, like, some abductions in the same area. Like, almost as, like, a non-sequitur, but sort of a wink-wink kind of thing. And I know he would deny it if you asked him that, but there were a couple of things that he brought up that were very much like, you know, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. You know, so, that was a that was a fun talk. Well, you know, and, MUFON uh, just had him at their symposium. I think he's leaning that I, I doubt he's ever going to like come out and say something as explicit as that, right. but he's definitely beating around the bush a lot that he it's thinks like a, is a, a limited hangout position. Yeah. I, 
I just I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't know about politis anymore. I I honestly don't. I I mean, yeah, you can sit there and listen to that stuff, and it'll really creep you out. But mm-hmm. then when you really start kind of thinking about some of the cases, you're just like, well, wait a minute, that's not yeah. as as weird as he's making it out to be. Uh, yeah, there's some definitely like some uh, showmanship that goes into it. Yeah, and like. The whole cluster zones thing, I still don't really buy. I mean, it, it look, he's like, okay, well, you have all these cases around the Great Lakes and around on the East Coast and on the West Coast, and this big band down the middle of the U.S. where you don't have any of these cases. And I'm like, that's because nobody lives there. Like, right. <laughs> it's right. that's where all the people well, are, where you've seen your cases. I just, well, I don't. One, one of the things about it is, is that you have this whole concept that, well, the dogs couldn't find the scent and the and the bad weather was setting in well anytime Mm -hmm. the bad weather sets in that's what's going to happen you know uh, i've made this point before we had this waffle house shooter here in nashville back uh when was that march yeah and it it rained the whole the, the the whole next day after he did this and they were out looking for him with the dogs well the dogs couldn't find a scent because it was just heavily heavily raining rain so that's yeah. not unusual, but the way that he presents it, he makes it sound like, well, this is just weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? And who says some, some stuff that shows us cards a little bit too. Like he was talking about one of the cases in which the ducks couldn't find the scent, but it turned out that, the, that the, uh, it's on the scent of like the dad and not the kid who was missing. So it's yeah. like, I, I don't know. Like, like you said, I, I think there's there's uh, almost like a P.T. Barnum-esque aspect to the way he presents some of this stuff to kind of creep people out and make them think it's more significant than it really is. Right. And when he talks about the urban the urban disappearances, well, mm-hmm. that's something completely different. I mean, you yeah. dealing with the smiley yeah. face killer stuff, I and mean, that's that's completely that's that's something completely different i don't think that has anything even to do with the stuff that happens in the wilderness it's less supernatural yeah than, so so he conflates yeah. he conflates a lot of stuff and puts it yeah. together and it's like and he's always like well i don't know i don't really know what's going on and that yeah, makes yeah. it even more more mysterious you know yeah but he's got I mean, big he's smart. figured out so thank thank god for that yeah <laughs> he, he is smart about that the fact that he doesn't speculate actually makes it more compelling to people yeah because they want him to, and they keep reading his books because they think he's going to be. But that's a good game. Yeah, it is a good game. Yeah, yeah. I've just heard too way too many horror stories about Politis. Really? You know, just it, it's it, it, a lot of people have been really unhappy with him, and he he tries to own this material, and it's just kind of like, well, no, dude, it's you know, this is publicly, all this stuff is public information. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, I remember and there was he controversy. Doesn't, he doesn't own stuff that's public information. He may put yeah. it together in a certain way, but he doesn't own the information itself. Exactly. These disappearances are public, and if someone mm-hmm. else wants to write a book about it, there's nothing he can really do about it. Right. I mean, but, that's just part of the territory if you're right. <laughs> but he gets all butthurt about it. Yeah. You know. Anyway, so enough on my soapbox. <laughs> was there anything else that, that stood out to you at Crypticon? Um, not really. I mean, we just met a lot of cool people. Um, a lot of ghost hunters there. Um, 
uh, I, I did a bunch of karaoke while drinking wild turkey. It was a good time. Awesome. <laughs> what, what did you sing? Uh, I sang uh, Long Tall Sally by Little Richard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, China Girl um, in the Iggy Pop style. Oh, and nice. I did by some far talking the heads. superior version. It is. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into the main subject, guys, and that's space communism. <laughs> and I'm going to turn nice. it over to Sir Fiel. Okay, this is the conspiranormal space communist spectacular. <laughs> um, so what, I mean, it's it's kind of a buzzword in a lot of the memosphere and stuff, but what I wanted to talk about is a really interesting history of the imaginings of space um and the paranormal in the former Soviet Union. And there's a lot of really disparate ideas, so I wrote a little thing I want to read to kind of tie them all in before we get into the main discussion. Um, So we're going to talk about everything from the history of Russian cosmism to how these ideas uh, were shaped in the Soviet establishment as well. And then we're going to get into... uh, the Soviet Union and the communist world, their view of UFOs, and then psi research as well. So we're going to kind of be all over the place. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read this, though. So, Something always attracted me to the futuristic aspects of socialist realism, science fiction, and architecture of the USSR. From the space race era propaganda posters to stunning examples of brutalist architecture and monuments whose crumbling remains now seem like the ruins of a lost civilization, I could never articulate what the feeling was, but perhaps I could sense that these were pregnant with the longing and cosmic vision that was unique to the civilization and both cultivated and suppressed by the communist regime. Did I sense a uniquely Russian current that predated the Soviet Union but was also empowered and shaped by it? Maybe I also sense a spiritual mission from this staunchly atheist empire. What became known as Russian Cosmism was a broad grouping of scientists, mystics, writers, artists, and thinkers in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, who with the dawn of a new technological and scientific age and an approaching cosmic consciousness of mankind, theorized what man and their nation's role should be and could be in this new age. With many seeming to have taken an extremist adaptation of many tenets of positivism, they viewed the total triumph over nature and space colonization as an inevitability and just around the corner. Death itself will be conquered, and man will control his own evolution as well as the Earth's as he journeys into the cosmos. Cosmism had a profound impact on Russian intellectual society before the revolution, and along with other futurist-minded groups, the new regime was seen as an opportunity to develop and implement their ideas for the future of society. Already primed by cosmism, the new question became, what is the function of communism on a cosmic scale? To the deterministic Marxists, the overcoming of capitalism was a concrete reality that was destined. This freed their imaginations to focus on the future of humankind working in a collective effort. Though the Soviet government operated in the same nation-state system, idealists could imagine space without nationalism and their unique role being the vanguard for all of humanity. These imaginings would also show their influence in the population of the USSR and communist movements when the UFO and contactee phenomenon became popular in the mid-century. If we are being visited by beings from another world, they must be more advanced and hence fellow communists. This thinking would manifest in Soviet science fiction and be politicized most notably by the Posadist movement, the Trotskyist sect which sought to establish a proletarian contact with our space comrades. Uh, Much has been theorized 
on Russia's unique civilizational space. Its late arrival to the Enlightenment and other political and economic developments, as well as it having a more spiritual character than the rest of Europe. All these factors helped shape the development of cosmic thinking and even maintained an openness to psychic phenomenon, which the state openly conducted psi studies as well. All right, so space communism, and we've got a expert on uh, Soviet psi research, and we've got Wren, who really introduced us to Posadism. Yeah, I'd never heard of it before that. <laughs> yeah, Posadism is, is really interesting. So, Wren, um, uh, what do you know about the, the cosmos, both before the revolution and how the revolution impacted them? So I wasn't super familiar with cosmism until uh, you introduced me to it, cool. and I, I was listening totally to, to that. Too. Yeah, I was I was listening to that talk um, at the Rosicrucian um, meeting about sort of the idea behind cosmism, and it, it's interesting because it it like that whole idea behind the newosphere and sort of the idea that like atoms are units of intelligence. Like I never realized those are cosmist ideas. Right. Uh, you know, or at least those kind of ideas were being discussed by cosmists. Um, and those ideas are kind of coming around full circle now and are quite vogue. This, um, what's, what's the way to describe it now? Transhumanism? Not They're transhumanism. Cool. Like uh, sort of the atom as un- unit of consciousness. Um, I can't find it now. <laughs> but yeah, like it's, it's kind of a popular thing now um, that people are starting to say, okay, well, the universe might be made of information. And uh, individual atoms might have some unit of consciousness. And so, like, maybe the stars are conscious and that sort of thing. When I was listening and reading about cosmism, I was like, well, these guys were saying this back in the 1930s. That, like, you know, like, all all matter is conscious on some level. And indicates, like, sort of this move towards, I don't know, like, like unity amongst um, man and, and nature and their environment. I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, it's it's crazy as far as like uh, I saw it as, and of course it's been noted by a lot of people that it's like a, it's really a, a forecasting of transhumanism. But I agree with that. Yeah, but to me it's like it's uh, it's uniquely Russian that it, because they were late to so much Enlightenment stuff, they kind of took the positivism and just ran with it to this like crazy you know logical conclusion like you know everything was just eminent right around the corner we're just you know it's all just gonna happen and you know real extremists with ideas of progress and that was it's it's really crazy because it just it really forecasts all this these transhumanist ideas uh engineering the planet and controlling human and the earth's evolution and this was all pre-russian revolution yeah it's it's interesting too because like um, you know me coming into this from like an occultist perspective. How many of you are familiar with like the Seth, uh, the Seth stuff, like the Seth channeling? I'm unfamiliar. Okay, so um, the Seth material is basically a collection of writing uh, by Gene Roberts who is an American writer who started channeling, having these channeling sessions with this entity she called Seth. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the things that Seth would say are very similar to some of these ideas that the Russian cosmists were having. Like, uh, again, the idea that, um, you know, like all people are made up of a number of like, consciousness units, you know, that 
all of the atoms in your body have some level of consciousness that that creates a sort of a whole for yourself and that you know we're not like individually sort of conscious but rather in a, just a piece of piece of a multi consciousness kind of framework mm-hmm. you, you know what else is interesting is is they kind of so when you were talking about the that cosmic dust or whatever they they view these this as their ancestors so even uh fedorov the guy who kind of yeah, started yeah. Nikola Fedorov, he would he would call it ancestral dust, and so the, the, he also had something was called the common task, which was like the goal of yeah. all of humanity, which was to basically like reintegrate or disintegrate, and specifically with your dead relatives, your ancestors. So part of this, you know, kind of uh, it's almost like a reverse engineering of nature, very alchemical and yeah. kind of transhumanist at the same time, you know. He was, I guess, he had a Russian Orthodox background too, and he was considered a religious uh, theoretician first. And yes, he sought to res. He thought the goal of humankind was we were going to do God's work now, and we are going to resurrect. Took the took the Christ image, and we're going to resurrect all past people as well as us and everyone after us, or who we create living forever. Yeah, that's how they. <laughs> At it. You know, this and, is like late late 19th century <laughs> you know it's, it's it's interesting you brought up his his religious background because you know eastern orthodoxy is yeah. a huge chunk of the entire russian story but specifically when we get to this uh parapsychology and this kind of out of the box thinking that is a product of their of their uh eastern orthodoxy in my opinion yeah no i, I agree and then as well as uh, Fedorov, we had uh, Konstantin Tsiolkovsky, and he, w- he wrote the first, ba- uh, the first books that theorized space travel. He was a, a scientist, and he did work on rocketry that even influenced von Braun. This is, you know, even before the, the Germans were as advanced as them um, with rocketry, and uh, he developed a philosophy of panpsychism as well that... that I'm not sure what panpsychism exactly was, but, uh, that's the word I was trying to remember. Okay. That's the, the (laughs) atoms. Yeah. 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 The, the idea that, um, basically our constitutive panpsychism is that matter already has experience and that, um, right, right. Okay. Basically every, every subatomic particles possess some very simple form of consciousness and that our, our own consciousnesses are constituted. Uh, by a combination of the subjective inner lives of the countless physical particles that make up our nervous system. Okay. Yeah. And, and he was, a he was a, a scientist who had, I mean, they have statues to him still in, in Russia. And he was a, you know, a scientist whose work was a part of the official uh, state system uh, later on, you know, so it's, it's pretty interesting and in how, how this stuff survived the USSR and I think that a lo- there the I know Lenin and later Stalin uh had a lot of problems with a lot of these figures um because they thought it was too it was too religious but I think also a lot mm-hmm. of Soviet authorities probably saw a good replacement for religion in a lot of this cosmic thinking giving a you know giving this big mission uh you know be it materialist to their uh to their country and and civilization Mm -hmm. you know i think to a to a small degree that um you know they might have even been scared of it a little bit yeah because 
I read an anecdote about Stalin where uh, I forget the name of the particular psychic. He, he was basically wanting to test the guy. Right. So he the test he designed was he had the guy go into some political building. Right. Where there's, you know, multiple checkpoints right at the front door, each level of each floor, you know, three, four guards to get to the floor he's at. So they bring him in, escorted. And his task is to get himself out of the building with no passes or clearances and, you know, go to the street where he can see the window and then wave back to whoever was in the building. And he does this, makes it out. And when they ask him how he did it, what he said was that he just took the face of his original escort into the building. And then when he was in front of each of the guards, he would project that face to them. So they saw a different face than his and that allowed him to escape. And this essentially scared stop there's nothing that can be really secure you know so i think in a way that this kind of science you know scares the powers that be you know absolutely i feel like that's one reason you didn't really see a a real kickoff on a research until after stalin's death right early 60s and so how did uh how did this kind of imagining affect their space program too because like I, i was saying the they could th- i think they could think of their space program a little more cosmically than us because we were like just nationalists you know we're like oh well you know i mean i know it's one small step for man and all that but essentially it was about what america was doing uh the i think the cosmic russian mission because of their 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 marxist imaginings were that they were doing this for all of all of mankind i would agree with you there um you know, it's kind of not to get too much into Ren's territory, but, you know, their, their <laughs> idea of, you know, the socialism that they were dealing with or the communism, they wanted to spread that worldwide. So like their their worldview and their perspectives, like you said, included everyone, even their space worldview. So I, w- I would agree with that for sure. And I think they had a need to show that the worker state had the ability to do things that a capitalist West couldn't or didn't have the political will to do themselves. And and that, they were right in a lot of ways because our own space program didn't necessarily kick into high gear um, until after theirs was already well underway. I mean, even though you had figures in our country like Jack Parsons sure. and stuff who were, who were pushing rocketry and space programs and stuff, a lot of people didn't believe it was even possible until, you know, they get when the, the, the Ruskies are doing it. Yeah, you know, once you mentioned Parson, I find that it's, it's interesting to me that there's this occult thread that runs through all of these initial space program guys, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. what was his name? Constant, uh, Stokowski, whatever, in Russia, uh, uh, Bern Braun in uh, Germany, and then Jack Parsons in America, and they're all involved in this occult kind of demonstration. And both Von Braun and uh, Constant uh, were were into like uh, sci-fi, but you know, there's really out there sci-fi, especially with the cosmism, and that thread seems to kind of run through this early space program stuff. So the next thing we can get into then with the sci-fi segue is uh, if you guys have gotten into any Soviet sci-fi and the imaginings of um, aliens, and when the UFO phenomenon really start happening, and of course it happened in Russia too. And this, uh, 
idea I found because I, I used to read a lot of these like collections of Soviet sci-fi books and they always have you know our, our space brothers because because of the Marxist dialectic if these people are so much more advanced then they're obviously communist already <laughs> and so they're either coming here to liberate us or we need to get in contact with them so they can give us the I guess technology so we can finally defeat capitalism and yeah. we All had right. uh, Gullius on the show and he talked about how uh, there were uh, FBI investigations into a lot of these uh, contactee and UFO groups in America. Right. And it all makes sense now. I didn't really understand it at the time. It all makes sense now because there really was this current in communist thinking and it was influencing American ufology and contactees. And even in all the sci-fi we know now, there are almost always some kind of collectivist advanced civilization, just Star Trek or whatever. And the only alternative to that is always like just monarchies, you know, like Star Wars and stuff where you have like in Dune where you have planets ruled by a monarchy. And even mm-hmm. though they're always, you know, or most of the time they're, you know, they're nice kings and queens still. It's like totally, you know, backwards right wing politics. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have something like Dune, like you said, that's like basically like the nightmare endpoint of like unrestrained space capitalism. Yeah, yeah. Versus something like Star Trek, where you know not a lot of people realize this, but Star Trek is just space communism. I mean, there is no, <laughs> there's no money. Like, there's everyone is like equal. Yeah, uh, it's, you it's know. a utopia kind of concept. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that's what a lot of like people, Marxists and stuff, wanted to build. I mean, that's the whole idea. Like, everyone is equal. No one wants for anything. Uh, you know, and and th- there's a like. Have you ever read a uh, roadside picnic, Serfiel? No. Oh man, I gotta send you that. That's sure. uh, that's my favorite Soviet sci-fi book. It's um, it's the story that uh, Tarkovsky uh, adapted into the movie uh, Stalker. That, oh, Stalker's you know, great. Yeah, I love Stalker. The Zone. Yeah, yeah. The original uh, story is called Roadside Picnic by the brothers Strugoski, and it's it's incredible. And it it's a, sort of a different idea than what you're talking about because in in Strugoski's uh, story the aliens are basically like unknowable entities that kind of like didn't even really make contact with us they kind of just stopped by on earth left a bunch of trash and then left and it's all about people like you know getting killed in horrible ways by the trash they left behind yeah yeah i mean this whole idea that like the whole idea that the the ufos and the flying saucer occupants must be by their nature like more advanced than us and and by being more advanced be you know communist according to the dialectic is a it's a thing that jay posadas talks a lot about it's kind of forms like the cornerstone of like posadism this idea that um like like posadas's um idea is that capitalist societies are warlike by nature right like capitalism requires endless war in order to sustain itself and his thing was that since the uh, UFOs who were visiting Earth were not invading us, they weren't trying to start a war with us, then they weren't warlike in nature um, and, and thus must not be capitalists. So um, he, he doesn't necessarily say that they must be also socialists, but he sort of makes that conjecture. Yeah. Like either they're socialist or they have gone beyond socialism. Like, you know, they're just but either way, they're not capitalists. Well, that's the uh, thing is that with the cosmic influence on socialism, it's like what mm-hmm. what happens after what happens when uh, when communism becomes cosmic? What is it supposed to do so that it doesn't uh, and a lot of the the 
thinking and some of the Posadism I'm seeing now is that, uh, you know, it's about emphasizing uh, socialism's indifference to advancing beyond itself, whereas we're in a historical stage of capitalism that is just trying to hang on to what, what's already there and that doesn't want to move. Yeah, yeah. Posadas makes a big point about how um, capitalism can't advance beyond a certain point, right. at, at least in his idea, because everything capitalism does revolves around profit, like profit and growth, um, but only growth uh, in, in the service of profit. And so there's no incentive to just do things for the greater good of mankind, right? There's always got to be a profit motive behind it. Um, whereas it's not a problem of true socialism because, like, you know, you, you don't have to – everybody owns the means of production, right? You don't have to, like, uh, be at the behest of a corporation or a pharmaceutical company when you're developing a new drug, right? You're developing a new drug because you want to help people, not because some company's trying to make money off of it. And then that ends up leading to greater and greater progress. And it seems like now – in the West, we're kind of giving up on this uh, our old space exploration idea of it being uh, ran by the state, and now we're kind of like falling into this, you know, Tesla <laughs> uh, private right. exploration of space, which is the polar opposite of this cosmic communist uh, ideation that they had. Well, yeah, it's creeping into fascism almost. Yeah. I mean, you have people talking about, oh, well, let's go mine asteroids. But I'm like, that's that's so you can make money or like, <laughs> let's let's build uh, colonies on Mars. But it's like you're wanting to build colonies on Mars so you can then exploit Mars. It's like, you know, it, there's there's not just a, a pure motive exploration and advancement of our species there. It's, there's always some sort of like motive there to gain profit. I could see how it was uh, empowering to them to really, you know, thinking about a lot of these things philosophically, they would feel that they had the, the upper hand, at least philosophically and theoretically, as far as their their mission w was larger. And Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's pretty interesting. Well, you brought up uh, Posadas, so uh, can you give a background of, of who he was and the... the uh, influence of him and how the the contactee ufo material became such a part of it yeah so so jay posadas was uh, an argentinian national trotskyist who wrote several kind of papers about like ufos and flying saucers and and what it means for us and and how the proletariat should engage with that material um his you know, we, we kind of talked a little bit about his idea that, well, since they're not capitalists, they must be, you know, socialist or have moved beyond that or something, collectivist somehow. And he saw them as, um, you know, uniquely peaceful and and could offer a way for the proletariat to overthrow the bourgeoisie. Um, he doesn't really get into specifics about that but his basic idea i think is more of a psychological one like we can look towards these civilizations that are coming to our planet as a model of like what we could be if we could only overthrow capitalism <laughs> like and um and i wanted to clear up one thing because if you look at posadism online you'll see like you know jokes about nuclear war and like this is what posadists actually believe um Posadas never called for nuclear war. 
right? He never said that we should just blow each other everything. His he's staunchly anti-war. What he says is that like nuclear war is inevitable. Like it's going to happen regardless of whatever. And what is going to happen when it, when it happens is that the the bourgeoisie are going to destroy themselves. Like and that capitalism will fall due to nuclear like global nuclear war. Um and that at that moment that'll be the chance for basically the working people to rise up and take over the state. Um his basic idea there is that sort of the disgust that most people will fill with the states that we currently are under um after they, you know, nearly kill everyone on the planet will be such that they'll never recover from that. Like it, it will spell the end of it. And um that's his thing. He doesn't actually call for okay, well we should just have nuclear war. He's just saying that in the ashes of that nuclear war like socialism will win. He just Maybe that's why we haven't had a nuclear war yet. He sees it as inevitable. Yeah, he does see it as inevitable. Okay. Like he's like it's going to happen. Yeah. And when it happens, that will be the end of capitalism. Because so, does, does he own being a, a war of some kind or does he talk about some kind of catastrophe as well or He I think he's specifically talking about uh nuclear war. Um, I, I wonder if his message, if he was still alive today, if his message would be different. Uh, you know, maybe discussing like climate change or something like ecological that. Ecological catastrophe, yeah. Yeah, ecological catastrophe or whatever. But his basic idea is that like this system isn't going to last forever, right? The system that we currently live under, it's going to collapse in on itself at some point when it finally exhausts itself and just uh, falls into a heap, and that that will spell the end of it like the the proletariat will rise up and and take back all these things that were taken away from them and then used to basically almost exterminate them it's it's like a weirdly hopeful <laughs> message for the future it's just oh yeah, yeah also six billion people have well i mean we're still not you know we're still not out of the dude. we're still not out of the chance of it i mean i don't you know things seem to just be getting yeah. hotter on the world scale and i don't you know i i think it's a lot you know, of course, with the political theory during the Cold War, you know, you had the this mutually assured destruction, and now it's kind of all these uh, all these theoretical underpinnings that they had to why nuclear war didn't happen are are going going away. So it's like now, you know, we're we're back to like this balance of power kind of pre uh, World War One thing, but there's mm-hmm. nukes now. So, I mean, no, the, you know, the international relations haven't even figured out theories to what is probably going to happen. Who knows, you know, and we got rogue players who can just, you know, start, start a whole domino effect, just like they did before world war one. So, yeah. you know, but I don't think nukes are really no longer the, uh, you know, the object of contention here because, you know, technology has advanced to, to quite a degree. So I think it, it's some other, uh, weapon of mass destruction other than a nuclear weapon yeah. if, if such a conflict takes place yeah it's going to be I mean there's all kinds of new stuff going on uh, I mean there's just so many apocalyptic possibilities yeah <laughs> who knows <laughs> well sometimes I doubt if that's ever going to happen because I feel like I, capitalist, I feel like capitalist powers kind of figured out after World War II that like, hey, we can't have these big wars anymore. Like, yeah, they're great for business right after, but they're a little bit too destructive. So we're just going to have these infinitely long, smaller scale conflicts in countries that can't defend themselves. 
instead of fighting each other. That's hopeful. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's the idea of proxy war, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and all that all that took form after World War Two. You know, the, the whole concept of like American Empire. This is a product of World War Two. We didn't even have a standing army until after World War Two. You know, after the First World War, soldiers went back home and got with their wives. You know, they didn't. There was no standing military. That's a relatively new concept for America. Mm-hmm. So there's been a real. It seems like there's been at least a kind of kitschy resurgence of Posadism that I'm seeing in the on the online world. Um, are you involved in that at all, Ren? Do you do you check out all the memes and stuff? Because they've like they've turned the the alt right Pepe the Frog into this like alien reptilian dude who's trying to bring Posadism to the world, and uh, it's it's pretty funny. They got a lot of good memes, and I know even at the Democratic Socialists of America convention, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, couple years ago i think during the bernie sanders campaign they mm-hmm. had a posadas faction that was kind of like a kind of like a joke but it you know they got a really good response and everyone had a lot of fun and have mm-hmm. you checked out any of that stuff what do you think about any of that it's it's funny like yeah i mean like there is a dsa posadas caucus and i think a lot of it's you know just ironic like it's just it's kind of goofy i mean even posadas themselves weren't taken very seriously like cuba hated them and um, right. I mean, but all the kind of goofiness of it aside and sort of, you know, silly contact tea stuff aside, like Posadas has some good points about about war and sort of like the future that that mankind because a lot of that's the thing about a lot of Marxists and communists and stuff that you'll talk to. Uh, they are very materialist. Lack They're of stuck imagination. In, yeah, there's a lack of imagination. There's this sort of vague idea about revolution and about, you know, uh, mankind treating each other better. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, very good things that come with it. But there's still sort of disconnect f- because of dialectical materialism from things like, like, the sp- there's sort of a, a lack of, I, I don't know, like, spiritual yeah, like spirituality in, in in Marxism and communism. I mean, it's interesting because there's also like a strong like sort of Catholic left. Yeah, that that has that aspect going. Liberation but, theology. You know, there's, yeah, but there's not that many. Well, then isn't the Posadism kind of you know just transferring the religious idea to the uh, the aliens? A little bit, yeah, in some way, but it's also sort of, yeah. I mean, you're right. Because in a lot of ways, like, I think like the Catholic left like looks to the teachings of like uh, of Christ to say you know that we should look after a fellow man, um, that you know everyone should be taken care of, and that sort of thing. Um, in sort of a way, the Posadas are I feel like are projecting that same sort of idea onto the uh, flying saucer occupants. Right. But, you know, where, where I see it at is is this concept of like assuming that extraterrestrials or aliens have to be further advanced than we are, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, kind of mentioned it, but it's like what, what it ended up happening is very much like how some interact with God, you know, it's this appeal to a higher moral authority, right? So God's mm-hmm. ways aren't our ways. The extraterrestrials ways aren't our ways. You know, it's almost like a, a kind of a cop out and just replacing uh, aliens with God. Yeah, it, it's a very anthropocentric idea, I think, um, to think that the extraterrestrials would be like us or that they would have the same sort of values as us. Um, <clears throat> I think Posadas tries to make the argument that 
based purely on technology that like if they have the technology to travel to stars then they must be more advanced than us um but you know i i think we we all know that that isn't necessarily true the case. and i was gonna say like maybe he's just kind of cynically using the zeitgeist of that time i mean and you know why not use it it you know i mean it's a yeah sees it as a great yeah. struggle of you know of history i mean why not you know they're using all kinds of stuff why not you know mess with ufos instead of you know political violence i mean it's like you know did, it seems like good, good did tool. he yeah. did he claim to have contact with ufos ufo occupants not that i know of um okay. i don't think that he ever actually saw a ufo or had any personal experiences with it um so in some ways yeah like um well, there's this line. So he he wrote. If you ever want to read this, it's it's not a very long read, but it's just called um, "Flying Saucers: The Process of Matter and Energy, Science, and the Revolutionary and Working Class Struggle." And that's um, too much stuff thrown in all at once, man. I read it. Yeah, that. yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And, and you're right, Sirfield. He kind of just uses them as a, an example, basically. Like, this um, is a good one, though. Yeah, like like I'm gonna read like a little bit from that. He just says. Um, when the class struggle has been eliminated and harmony is a necessity of life, thought will have a field of operation and possibilities of development infinitely superior to those that exist today. Today, thought is very limited from infancy onwards. To draw deeper conclusions on these questions, we must follow them attentively, interest ourselves with them, discuss them, learn about them, and study them. Other phenomena like that of UFOs will present themselves. A whole series of things will attract our attention. Is the development of matter in another universe similar to that of here? basically he's just saying like by studying the paranormal and things like ufos um it, it sort of expands our ideas of what is possible and it, ex it sort of expands uh the limits of our perception and understanding and, and basically gets us thinking about the universe and that that is a, like a good thing it's a net positive for people that makes a lot of sense i mean i think there's a <laughs> I think for the left and I'm just a pretty moderate guy but there I think there definitely needs to be more balance because the extreme right is absolutely on fire and they are <laughs> using everything they can and and there's there's so much of their imaginations going into this stuff and and, you know, we are circling back to Russia, but now it's, you know, under these different guises on the other side of the political spectrum. But, you know, f I think the only thing that's going to really can galvanize the left is to present uh, futuristic ways of thinking versus this, you know, neo-traditionalist stuff that's going on. And somehow they can, you know, turn back the hands of time and we can go back to some kind of primitive uh, Christian, you know, civilization exemplified by what Russia is trying to become, you know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And I think, I, I think it would do them well to, to try to take at least something from this history. Um, yeah. You know, to be positive for the future, because we also can't just blindly give the future and the, you know, power of technology to this kind of new, like we were talking about, weird neo-fascistic, uh, super empowered individual corporate, you know, overlords, uh, you know, like being yeah. the only ones who will have the benefits of this technology and the only ones to direct it. So, you I know, that's interesting because in the cosmism part of the 
was that it was supposed to be universal. So, you know, it was supposed to be for everybody. The immortality and all the good things they talked about yeah. was meant to be shared with everyone. So I, I thought that was cool. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a big, big thinking. And then I think it merged with Marxism because it, because Marxism also had this grand plan for humanity. Um, now, all this was birthed, of course, in this unique civilizational space of Russia. And Russia's characterized itself, and I've, I mean, I've heard this out of plenty of Russians themselves, that it's a more uh, spiritual civilization that has always been open, uh, even, you know, after, after, the, uh, after modern times, after materialism came to dominate so much, but has always been open to these kind of spiritual phenomenons and psychic phenomenon in particular as a, as a very long and deep history in the Russian civilization. And the USSR did conduct openly and secretively tons of psychic research as well. Which can also go into the Eastern Orthodoxy's emphasis on mysticism, too. Yep. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's you know the the huge uh, impetus for the the spiritual uh, nature of of the Russian people is definitely the uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, because you know that that split between the two Christianities, the the Western Church and the Eastern Church. Um, I'm not a super theologian, but that that's a that was a pivotal moment because essentially the West at from that point went extremely materialistic, and the East went the other direction. So I think that's what's responsible for their more spiritual way of looking at things. Yes, yeah, uh, very much agreed. Uh, it's it seems to be especially now when the Eastern Orthodox Church has become more and more visible and more, have more and more power over there that there that that emphasis is is coming back. Yeah, I mean, it seems Putin seems to be kind of you know emphasizing the, that aspect of Russia, right? So I. Which kind of leads me into Definitely a question. Think it's make- I was thinking about when we were, you guys were talking about this, is uh, how much is this cosmism and all this, all this whole concept uh, influencing what's going on over there now? I don't know if it's super influential like it used to be there, uh-huh. but I do know that psi research is still continuing there, and they're could possibly be an interesting connection with Putin and, and Psy research done in the past. I mean, he's a dude. Right. And they were the ones in charge of Psy research, especially psychotronic research during that time. So I wonder like how involved he was with it or what he thinks of it. Well, from what I remember reading about Putin, I think he was like a uh, more like a case officer, you know, like actually in charge of, you know, turning agents and so mm-hmm. forth. But he would still be privy to some of that information. But it's interesting you, you mentioned that in combination with space. I, I know in some of the experiments that they did, they actually found that the psiability works better in space or in a zero gravity environment. So I'm sure they're coupling that with their space program today. Wow, that's hey, get into that. That oh, that's sounds a cool. New one on me, man. That's 
Yeah, I mean, they, you know, one of the, a big part of, of their experiments was the concept of distance, you know, and is there a, a distance limitation to psychic ability? So they would have, you know, two telepaths sending messages, you know, 3,000 miles apart or a telepath on the space station orbiting the Earth, sending a message down to someone on Earth. You know, they did a lot of these experiments. Um, that um, not just telepathy, but just psi period works better in a zero gravity environment. And it also works well underwater. So you can obviously imagine they were also using this to communicate with submarines as well. So they were fully integrating psi into their military, not just as like, you know, a, a side interest. Like, I think this was a, a fundamental root of their whole enterprise into psi. Yeah, that, that's something that I think Ed May talked about, that uh, during the, the Chechen conflict in the 1990s, that like the um, there was this guy, Lieutenant General Alexei Savin, and he was basically the guy in charge of Russia's um, uh, like psychics or, you know, like state psychics. Okay. And that they actually were like in combat on the front lines in Chechnya. Uh, and in contrast kind of you know like really far away from what they were viewing right. um seven's crew were basically on or near like the combat zones and they would do remote viewing to do like like swift tactical problems and to help them focus it's like the new earth so, army stuff yeah it's it's super interesting like they would um they would actually like do interrogations on captured militants and um some of the people like you know uh, got public rewards for that like alina kilmova um but I think that's super interesting because, like, you see this really different, like, methodology in the way the U.S. handled psi research, um, especially, like, military psychic stuff versus what the uh, Russians were doing with their military psychics. Yeah, you know, it's interesting um, that there was a – he's not Russian. I think he's a uh, Czech. He's from Czechoslovakia. But uh, Dr. Milan Reisel, and he actually developed a system for creating psychics. Yeah, you know, and it's, I guess it's like one of two, you know, tried and true tested systems to create a psychic. Now, when I say that, I mean, everyone is psychic to a degree, but to like really bring out the, the latent psychic powers in a person. He developed a system and eventually it uh, ended up getting used by the Navy SEALs through uh, Dr. Richard, uh, Richard Allen Miller. Interesting. So what, what was the process that he was developing? I um I'd have to pull out the book to find it exactly, but what it you know it would be like a <clears throat> I think it would go for a, a year and it would just be a series of hypnotic inductions. You know what I found is that the root of a lot of this stuff is all uh, hypnotism and suggestology, you know, suggestion. Mm -hmm. So he would induct them, you know, three or four times a week, um, giving them you know various suggestions to. The, they're all affirmations, essentially positive affirmations. Yeah, so like they, if they believe they can do it then of course it's probably Absolutely. better yeah, yeah. yeah. right yeah and, or go ahead. <laughs> no go ahead well, i was gonna say there's an interesting uh sort of parallel there like like both alexi savan in russia and uh, joe mcmonagle in the u.s both of these guys were psychics in their own right um some of the best psychics that have probably ever lived and they both had near-death experiences like, you know, Joe McMonagall had this experience when he was stationed in Germany in which he, um, like, he thinks he was poisoned or something. And he ends right. up having, like, a near-death experience. And after that, basically gets unlocked. You know, in, well, 
that he had sort of been able to do a little bit when he was younger, but now it was just like an overdrive. And, and Alexei Savin like was apparently pronounced clinically dead when he was six, and then he died again when he was like seven. And um, he had another near-death experience when he was eight. So he had three of them oh. <laughs> in three years. And then afterwards, he he could like felt he could read people's minds and access information and that sort of thing. And and I've heard this all over the place. Like you know, uh, board of the Red Gazeri on Cheryl Lee had uh, a ton of near-death experiences. Didn't and, have near-death experiences too. What was that? Didn't Ingo Swan have a near-death experience? I'm actually not sure about that. I feel bad not knowing that because I, I know a good bit about Ingo Swan. I'm not sure if he ever had a near-death experience. It wouldn't surprise me if he did, right. though. Right. Like You have this idea that, that this experience <laughs> of the near-death experience uh, unlocks something and, and <laughs> allows you to access this latent uh, ESP. Well, then that sounds like how all the, all the mystery schools have the uh, simulated death. And yeah, and the Egyptian... The, the pyramids, I mean, those are literally immortality machines. What they do is, like, the king would go through the pyramid and sort of it would simulate a trip to the underworld where he would die and he would lay in the coffin and everything and, and, and die and then come back to life like Osiris right. and, and, you know, ascend the pyramid and stuff. It, this, I mean, this is like basic immortality tech that's been done ever since, like, the... Right. And you know what, calling it technology, I think I think that was definitely in their mind, like, you know, because like you said, this is all kind of ancient underworld chthonic technology. And I think mm -hmm. the Soviets were, were thinking that way when doing the Psy, because I mentioned it to you last night, Ren, like when rereading some of this research and stuff, what mm -hmm. struck me is, you know, what the Soviets were basically doing was, you know, given a scientific theory to magic, you know, straight mm -hmm. up. Because everything they were doing is basically magic. It's occult, you know, literature is what they're doing and trying to uh, test it in a scientific way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and some of that, I wonder if that is sort of the side effect of the materialism that was present in, uh, in Soviet Russia. Right. Like, this idea, I mean, I don't necessarily think that dialectical materialism means like that there's you know an absence of a, a spirit world or whatever or right. psychic abilities i think it basically just says hey people's material conditions are are based on like you know the history and stuff but it did put forth this sort of distrust of the church you know uh, soviet russia was an atheist state and things like the occult and spiritualism were very frowned upon but then again, too, they realized that this research, they realized it was real and that this research could be useful on, on some level. I think the higher-ups thought, hey, we could use this. Definitely. And, and so the researchers sort of had to cloak it in the, the air of materialism, right? Like, let's treat this like a science and a technology. Um, and maybe there's good things because of that, because in some ways, yeah, you could use the scientific method. People like like Dean Radin today use the scientific method to explore this stuff, and, and maybe it has advantages. But on some level, I think you you run the danger of treating it too materially, and you, you right. sort of miss some aspects of it because you're you're trying to because some of the stuff I was reading about this, they tried so long to put forth this theory, like the the Russian researchers did, that this was electromagnetic in nature right that was a huge topic of discussion well what 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 kind of energy are is psi phenomenon or is it even the energy so were yeah, they exactly. they're kind of like resurrecting some mesmeric stuff yeah yeah that that, yeah. that, that played a heavy trying uh, to role find, trying to find a physical aspect of it so that it could fit in the materialist paradigm for them 
Yeah. yeah. Yep. Try to find the psychic particle, you know, like what what is it? What's the particle of information that goes off? And they never were able to find it. No. Uh, you right. know. And I don't think Bill, because it's not like it doesn't work like that. Yeah. I mean I think it, I think the closest you can get to it is stuff like uh uh, Rupert Sheldrake's like kind of morphogenetic field kind of thing that there's yeah. some sort of you know possibly non-material field that is around living things that transmits information but it's not like there's a physical particle that you can measure that that is involved with that because on some level it's not it's not acting in in what we experience as physical reality right or whatever physical conditions are able to be measured it's it's only those things being impacted by a non-physical There was some cool Russian research I was reading, you know, one of them was like they had two cells and one cell was like infected with a virus and they put the cells like between a pane of glass and a pane of quartz. Yeah. There was some interesting work done in, in that regard, like trying to figure out what the mechanism of action of thy abilities are. Um, and, and these scientists took like two different cells, like animal cells. One was infected with a virus and was separated by glass uh, divider one was separated by quartz and i think like quartz filters ultraviolet radiation so like uh, ultraviolet radiation could go through the glass one and what was interesting is in the one where ultraviolet radiation could be transmitted between the two cells um the other cell got the virus even though there was shouldn't have been any way that that virus could have like transferred itself right it, it was almost like it, it mysteriously got the virus too because it could uh, somehow interact with the other virus. And, and I think uh, Sheldrake's research, this may have been Sheldrake, maybe been somebody else, but it's sort of the same idea that they had uh, two groups of mice, you know, one group that was like starved and another group that was given lots of food would eat more and more. And even though they had plenty of food and their theory behind this was that somehow the starving mice were communicating uh, with the, mice that were well fed on some level and they were you know sending across famine signals you know like there's not enough food you have to eat more and you know while that may not actually be the case i I think that morphogenetic field research is very interesting and just in our culture in general like how do we influence everyone around us like without realizing it on, on some just um completely invisible level like do we send information to each other even when we don't realize it that's very interesting and then it it all makes me think that in addition to being more open to certain ideas um, being researched by scientists, they also probably didn't have a lot. Is there like, you know, is there their um, unofficial or totally black studies that were very unethical too? because, I mean, they, you know, they have to have had less ethical constraints than at least our surface scientific establishment here. Yeah, I mean, they, they they certainly did some studies that probably wouldn't have been done over here in America. Well, actually, they were, some of them. But, you know, well, yeah, I mean, for instance, you know, they did a lot of work on um, transferring, you know, emotion. Well, they did disease transference, kind of like what Ren was talking about. And let me add on that, actually. So that when they would, they would set up the various um, glass screens or quartz, whatever, to separate the two Petri dishes. But what they, they also put it uh, lead in between it, you know, assuming it would block it and it went straight through. Um, and that they found that this whatever this energy is, it actually also performs better in a Faraday cage. So, you know, there, I don't think you can necessarily block it. <clears throat> 
I mean, do they do things to people? Yeah, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. So what they would do is they would also do these experiments on broadcasting um, different diseases or specifically emotional states. That was one where they really got in on. So they would like get through an EEG. They would get the uh, brainwave pattern of the emotional state of, say, a schizophrenic. Oh, oh, shit. And then they would transfer schizophrenia through this field to another human or any emotion for that matter. <laughs> Yeah, that that seemed like that was a huge focus when I was doing this research on the yeah. Soviets compared to the to, to the U.S. Was that the Soviets were interested in like a psychotronics, like either the ability to transfer emotional states or to influence the thoughts of other people, like yeah. very interested in things like group hypnosis. And I've, I've talked a lot of crap on where did the road go, and is very skeptical about the whole sonic weapon thing that you've been seeing in the news. I thought it was just a lot of uh, garbage, but then I started reading the Soviet sci research stuff recently. And I was like, damn, that sounds a lot like a psychotronic weapon. And then, and Matt, you said that you had, um, you'd read some stuff that sort of confirmed that, or at least, uh, supported that idea. Yeah. I was trying to find it real quick, but there's a guy out there is a, a retired, um, Lieutenant Colonel Tom Bearden. And he's wrote a bunch of books, um, one called the Excalibur briefing. And then a really, really good one called uh, Gravito biology, where he goes real deep into all this stuff. But in both of those books, he outlines a theory that, that's exactly that Soviet embassy thing was. It was them testing out this the psychotronic weapons, uh, specifically like uh, transmitting these cancers and these disease states. Golly. That stuff's crazy. Well, we can, I mean, so all this is so timely now because, you know, we're, uh, we might have seen the biggest uh, <laughs> Russian psyop on America since who knows when and we are back in, you know, Cold War Two, uh, supposedly, and we had this great Cold War and arms race that is, uh, you know, we're we're held as the victors, um, and we had more money to spend on technology, but with this uh, dimension, it seems like they were probably ahead of us and are still ahead of us and now that we're back into conflict i mean how is this stuff going to play out i mean i i would say that they're, they're definitely uh, ahead of us you know and it's interesting the the track of development that was taken especially in like regards to the military so us in the west in america we focus real heavily on our guidance systems and these were these intricate computers, right? And the Soviets specifically had experiments where their psychics were attempting to disable electronic systems to essentially disable America's guidance systems on their missiles and their planes and all that via psychic effects. Very, very low cost and economical. Yeah, I mean, we were we were trying to do the same thing. I mean, uh, Lynn, I think Lynn Buchanan talks about how he originally got recruited into to Girl Flame because he accidentally cut, like, or blew up all the computers in a in like a base um, when he got stressed out. Uh -huh. So like, but I don't know if we ever took it. Hate it when that. Yeah, happens. hate it when that happens. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we ever took it to the level that that the Russians did. It's it's so interesting because you have these parallel lines of research that went in completely different directions. Yeah, and, you know. I'm, I'm sorry, Ryan. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say like in terms of um, like I don't know too much about like the Russia stuff in, in terms of like doing things to people but i think we we do know that in the u.s there was a program trying to breed um psychics or psychic abilities in children through trauma 
I know yeah. this is something Whitley Strieber has talked about that he may have been a part of it. Um, and there, I've heard some other interviews with other people that believe that they were part of it too when they yeah, were kids. I, I, the monarch, I think, the monarch yeah. ideas. I think we had someone on this show mm-hmm. that was a part of that that still does not know it. Yeah, yeah that stuff is that stuff is is crazy. Yeah. That's the uh, the tra- it's mind control. It's the trauma based mind control. And uh, the the basics yeah. of that is when when you experience trauma, your brain will create a memory wall around that trauma. So an example would be you're in war, your buddy's leg gets blown off in front of you, right? You don't want to keep reliving that over and over, so your brain will kind of wall that off, and it walls it off with essentially a memory wall, and you can implant. Uh, that's how you get these multiple personalities, but you could also implant psychic abilities on this memory wall. But what they were doing in the mind control programs is they would implant altered personalities onto the memory wall. And the stronger and more intense the trauma, the stronger the memory wall would hold. And also multiple traumas would create multiple memory walls, hence multiple personalities. And so this was their goal in the mind control programs, the monarch, like you said. Is there anything like that that came out of the? Because we have this privilege of seeing a little more into the world, the Soviet world, because of the because of the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, versus you know our security establishment is has been continuous. So you know we we don't get to uh, really get a glimpse. Is there anything out there with this kind of stuff that's that's been kind of been released? I'm not entirely certain specific, but I can. Yeah, fall of the Soviet Union was, you know, a, a boon and a half for any researcher because so many documents got kicked loose at the fall of the Soviet Union. So many, you know, documents in the in the Eastern Bloc, but then also some corresponding documents in the West had to be released because they were all released in the East. So many, many documents and classified projects came to light at the fall of the uh, Soviet Union. I do know that um, in terms of Russian at- attempts for recruitment. Um, some stuff that I was reading said that they spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars going all over Russia to try to find people who were naturally talented yeah. rather than like in the U.S. thing that existed. And so you couldn't really do like a recruiting thing officially. So they were, I don't know, maybe they were just trying to look, we can't recruit them. So we're just going to make them, you know? So it's crazy. They're officially the atheists, but they were able to, do things like that, whereas we couldn't, even though we're the religious nation. Yeah. It's, it's, well, part of that seems that they thought that there's a material yeah, right, explanation yeah. for yeah. all Another this. big part. But you've got... Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying that you've got this particle that's out there that explains it all, yeah. but... I was going to say another big part, I think, is just the approach, right? So the, the Soviets took it for granted that these things already exist, sciability. In the West, they were focusing all their yeah. time on trying to prove it existed. The Soviets were past that. We know it yeah. exists. Let's prove how it works, you know? So their approach. So what you can do after right, that right. Yeah, is bigger. Yeah, I mean, in that respect, they're 50, 60 years ahead of the West. Oh, yeah. Or were then. I mean, God, because you that's terrible. You still have people. <laughs> I mean, you still have people like Dean Radin trying to convince people that it exists. I mean, I think he's moved beyond that, too. He's trying to he's at the he's at the point that Soviets were in the 1960s. Yeah. Or how about Dr. William I mean, Tiller? And, you know, um, I was going to mention one thing there, too. Uh, crap. 
was my train of thought too. <laughs> Just the cultural manipulation and the the psyop stuff that's out there. I mean, that's scary enough, and they're smart enough with that because I feel like because you know there you had so many people whose whole career was to influence what was then the left in America, mm-hmm. and you know try to try to find people they could recruit, etc. But now it's like just the other side, and they are trolling and and collecting and shaping the right in America. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a lot of the same guys who got they got rehired. You know, they're probably I mean, and that's just that level. But now, you know, you're talking about this whole actual psychic warfare yeah, yeah. level. To well, how this. about this? Uh, I think it was um, the Waco situation. David Koresh, right? Uh, yeah. The uh, FBI tried to bring over this Russian scientist. Um, I don't got his name off the top of my head, but he was uh, I think he held the patent on this uh, synthetic telepathy. You know, this where, where you can hear the voice of God technology and they were going to try and beam the voice of God into David Koresh's head to tell him to surrender. Oh my God! <laughs> they, they required this scientist to sign a, 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 you know, basically saying if something goes wrong and the dude dies, you know, we, the FBI can't be held accountable, and he refused to sign. <laughs> well, you know, one of the aspects you, you brought up the religious aspect, and I, I think that's one of the things that that killed a lot of, and held back a lot of side research in America, and ended up killing the official programs. I know McMonagall has hinted about this like my pet theory here at first because fear normal folks it was the collins elite that shut down the american psi research i like that theory that's interesting i know if you're if you're not familiar with the collins elite nick redfern lays out a bunch of this in his book final events but it's this group of like high level officials in the uh like u.s military establishment and, and government that formed a group basically to look at paranormal phenomena and they quickly came to the conclusion that it was all demons and that they were feeding on our souls and that it was uh the devil and they were trying to usher in the apocalypse and they were high enough level to make huge decisions i know mcmonagall has said basically like religious elements within the military or what shut down and i think if you connect the dots you're like it was probably the collins elite who thought that we were getting too much into the occult and that we were going to usher in the end times and the apocalypse and stuff. McMonagall really said that, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he says that, yeah, it was some fundamentalist. They were fundamentalist elements for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, that, that's my personal theory that they were the guys who got it shut down. But you didn't have that problem in Russia, right? Because it wasn't seen as an occult thing. It was seen as a scientific phenomena. It was seen as a materialist uh, phenomena that could be studied on a scientific level, whereas in the U.S. you had people who saw it very much as an occult phenomena. You know, what's also what's interesting in the West is like it seems like you know it seems like in the Soviets or in, in in Russia they went with like the soft approach, you know, focusing on the human's ability through their mind to produce these effects. And the West, you know, did that slightly, but what they quickly hacking into this technology via the use of technology. So they were big on, you know, transmitters and receivers and and this kind of thing, not having a human as the source or as the receiver, but a machine. And and you can couple this with the uh, the chemtrail and the spraying. Doing is creating an artificial medium that can transduce these signals. Now they could be sent from a human, right? So I'm talking about amplifying telepathic or psi signals. Which that is interesting parallels yeah, in the Russian research because they also 
at least the military elements of the Russian research really wanted to build like, you know, a psychotron machine that could do something rather than needing a human. They in short, these were talismans, you know, mm-hmm. straight up, but they were calling them, um, I think they were calling like psychometric objects or psychometric machines, but basically they were objects that would store up psychic energy, you know? So almost very much like, uh, you know, various rituals, you know, you focus in on all this energy and into this object and then the energy itself or the object stores that energy and then can transmit it later. So they had small examples where, you know, you would charge this up with a, with some kind of mental or psi energy, and then they would use this object to pick up all kind of other objects like it was magnetic, but these aren't magnetic objects. We're talking about, you know, wood, plastic, all of this would line up in a daisy chain on this object that was made magnetic or charged by uh, some kind of psychic ability. So they were, were putting this in objects. And then you have the weird intersection of this with the actual occult, which is something that I didn't realize until today. Because I've been reading uh, John King the Fourth's uh, Imperial Arts, which is like a record of his uh, conjuration of uh, twenty-four demons from the Goetia, okay. and a lot of the abilities of these spirits, specifically spirits like a uh, Dentalian, are literally to you know change the thoughts in people's heads, influence them, hypnotize people. A lot of these spirits can do things like that. And and there was an interesting conversation. He has a one spirit. I can't remember what his name is, but he asked the spirit, like, could I do these things without needing you there? And the spirit was like, people use me all the time. They just don't realize it. Right. You know? It seems like we're approaching this. Uh, it seems like we're approaching this merger of cybernetics in the occult in all this. Oh, that's super interesting because that's kind of like, that's kind of what the Soviets were focusing on it like that, right? So it was it was information processing was was kind of what they were focusing on as far as cybernetics go, you know? So those two things are, are coupled together, I think. Yeah, and you look at sigils, you look at the Tree of Life, I mean, they're like circuits. Yep. Yeah. And I'm sure some inspiration c- came from that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's... Goetia spirit seals look like, uh, look like schematic diagrams. They do. They do. Like you know, it's funny. The, the, the Soviet called this whole field psychoenergetics. So that kind of links okay. into what we're talking about with this occult stuff. Yeah. And you, you, what kicked me off in that thought was you mentioned the magnetic thing. Um, I was listening to, uh, to Greg Bishop's interview last night with uh, George Knapp and um, that other guy. I can't remember his name, but they did the they did the hunt. Jeremy Corbell. Yeah, Jeremy Corbell. Yeah, they did the hunt for the Skinwalker yeah. documentary. And one of the things that happened at the Skinwalker Ranch was they had this weird transportation of cattle or something that like magnetized the entire barn. You know, it makes me wonder if these uh, you know ESP abilities aren't somehow utilizing spirits to do them. You know, rather than it being like an innate human ability or even a biological phenomena, but rather something occurring on on the spirit level. I I would agree with that because I've often thought it was something going on on the astral level. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, (laughs) like the way in our minds, guys. Well, like the way, um, like uh, me and Matt go to the the ritual night with Scott Stenwick, and one thing Scott has said to me before was that uh, we all have some innate power ourselves, right? But the reason we as occultists engage with spirits is that spirits have more power than us, and we can use the spirit's power instead of using our own, 
right? Or we can combine our power. Right. right? So, so this idea that we're all kind of doing the same thing. Humans can do psychic magic themselves without any need for spiritual intervention, like, like, I don't know, like sigil magic or something or creating a talisman. But um, we can also use spirits to do similar things. And in some ways they can do things a lot better than we can. And I know that, I mean, I've heard, okay, so this is deep woo-woo territory. We're going the deep end now, but That's cool. I've heard, and I don't have any sources for this, but I've heard multiple times just on various places, you know, that not only were we researching psychic phenomena, that some elements of the government were actually researching like spirits, astral entities, like whatever you want to call them too. And like, specifically like there's hints about this in some of the books about the remote viewing project because yeah. even though mcmonagle and these guys weren't directly involved with the cia stuff there's these hints that the cia was doing way spookier stuff with it that they yeah. were actually summoning spirits and like trying to get them to kill people remotely and like do things like that you know and that yeah, people that, might that have actually back, died because of it that goes back to jack parsons were initially assigned to uh, you know follow Parsons or keep tabs on them, kind of got drawn into this occult world, and there ended up being a whole section or a whole group of agents that became occultists, intelligence agencies, flat out occultists, doing just what you were talking about, Ryan. It makes me think like if um like the Collins Elite thing wasn't more, more of a reaction to the the remote viewing stuff, but more like they found out about what the CIA was really doing. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Right. This Group is too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. And, you know, like, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of, like, it's funny because this stuff is in pop culture, right? Like, this is Stranger Things. I mean, we're, we're talking about the plot to Stranger Things here. That was a great oh, yeah. show. Right. Great. Yeah. Right. Like, That's all uh, the Montauk know, stuff in Stranger very Things. Very Lovecraftian. Like, that was a great show. Yeah, I mean, you have children being traumatized in order to awaken psychic abilities, the summoning of creatures from other dimensions, like, and and all this stuff is like people. I think when they watched that show, didn't realize that like it wasn't that far off from what we were really doing. It's yeah. not even that fictional. Like we really had people doing this stuff. Yeah, uh, what was her name? Eleven, right? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they really, they really did that. Back to the uh, the mind control program, you know, at least the way the Americans approached it, it, it was very much based on dissociation. You know what I'm saying? You have to dissociate the mind. Right. But they found that um, children, unfortunately, were the best for this because, you know, children can dissociate much easier. So unfortunately, those were often the uh, test subject and, and the uh, more extreme tests that they were doing. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they're and the weird thing is, is that they're right about that. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, for uh, I have a lot of out-of-body experiences, and I can feel like I can tie that directly back to abuse that I had in my childhood. And yeah. and they, I think they realize this, that it's much easier to build these psychics than it is to wait around for someone who's just like a natural, like Ingo. You know, because people like Ingo are one in a, one in a million. You right. know, like, you know, everybody's a little bit psychic, but not everybody's psychic like Ingo. He's the, you know, the Kobe Bryant of, you know, <laughs> right. ESP. So it's like, you know, I think they, they saw themselves like <clears throat> with the inability to publicly admit that it was real. There's no way to do like a large scale recruiting program other than just like getting people who are already in the military, like, like Buchanan. So well, that, that, that kind of goes back to, you know, Millen Rizal's work where he had the system to, you know, create psychics. And mm -hmm. again, it was all based on hypnosis and suggestion, you know? So mm -hmm. 
I think, and like they were doing some real interesting stuff. So he was, he did an experiment where, um, he would do essentially like a hypnosis reincarnation. So he had his group of test subjects and he would, uh, induct them and then start giving them suggestions that they were famous painters. Uh, and now mind you, these test subjects come from a, a zero art background, right? Can't draw mm-hmm. stick figure. I think this was a, a study that ran for three months. They would have multiple induction sessions where they, they would be told that they are Rembrandt or Poussant or whoever. You can paint like him. Your strokes are just like him, so on and so forth. And by the end of this period, these people are painting, you know, like they're pros for sure, but damn near as good as who they were supposed to be. But they also started to take on characteristics that were known and some that were unknown about these people. They started to really start being these other people through this hypnotic suggestion. They became new people, essentially. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. You talk about becoming new people. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting that, that Russell Targ pointed out was that, you know, all of these guys, and most of them were military, that they recruited to become remote viewers for the military, mm-hmm. they ended up all becoming anti-war. Like something about engaging with these powers offered some kind of insight into their own spiritual nature and like, you know, like consciousness and everything. And it made them all, you know, become like hippies, basically. Like they all became anti-war, a uh, empire. And, and, and that's what the Russians found, too. Like I remember, I'm trying to find the, the quote here, but one of the the Russian recruiters, they would recruit these um, young kids from like working class families who had like rough childhoods, who were maybe involved in crime, drugs, and that sort of thing, and they would take those guys in order to like turn them into psychics, and in, in a lot of ways, it completely changed their lives. Like it made them um, like new people. Because right. they were exposed to this thing that was bigger than them, and it, you know, it, it opened up their minds in, in such a way that it was like a net positive for their personalities, and exposed them to something that was bigger than the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there was there was the other side to that coin slightly. Some of the uh, psychics in the Soviet Union seemed to be particular older women, but who were psychic in wonder. read people's futures and this was nutty like they could i don't know if it was by touch or whatever it was but they could see a kid a child and like predict their life who they're going to marry how many kids they're going to have when they're going to die so on and Mm -hmm. they all were in the same village relatively so they could check these out 15 years down the line and she was always accurate but she was always extremely uh depressed and very melancholic now this could just be because she's foreseeing everybody's death but it just seemed like almost a general sense of foreboding from her steady tapping into this you know Mm -hmm. so i i don't know if it always leads towards love and light you know what i'm saying it could go the other way yeah yeah i got a question when uh is there anything that has been released since that maybe we didn't know about as far as when when the soviets occupied so much of that what was a german sphere did they did they uh, get any weird information about this kind of the kind of the psychic war that the Third Reich was doing at the same time? I mean, and uh, no, we incorporated so much of those people into our intelligence establishment. Uh, I'm wondering if the Soviets 
ha- have any information that maybe you know we wouldn't put out publicly that came out after the Cold War about things that they found in the German occupied areas having to do with this kind of phenomenon? I'm not really aware of any specific psychic experiments that you know the Nazis may have been working on that got transferred to the Soviets. Um, you know, obviously they got a lot of the technology like we did. Um, but I'm not aware of any direct psychic experiments. Uh, what about you, Ryan? Not really either, other than just like, you know, the, the typical like Nazi Bell stuff and the stuff that may be going right. on in, in Antarctica. Like, I'm not really sure right. that it's weird because that was one of the reasons, or at least our justification for, for grabbing so many Nazis and pulling them over here um, was that if the Russians got a hold of them, they would just hang them. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but, well, you know, and if we had this psychic war going on mm-hmm. during the Cold War, I mean, you got to think, you know, it's there were. I mean, they must have felt really engaged, but uh, the Russians did because they knew how many Nazis were working with us, too. You know, so it's like this continued conflict with the same people. Yeah. Uh, fighting each other. You there know, what, was what, sort of a, a, a sort of connection there. Like, apparently, uh, Sergei Vronsky, um, like he was um, a psychic and he apparently visited Berlin a lot and studied hypnosis, clairvoyance, astrology and stuff. And he was actually in close cahoots with top German leadership. He was apparently Rudolf Hess's like personal astrologer. He w- he knew Erwin Rommel and he was a physician to Hitler. Um, but he was like, kill him. No, he was actually a double agent. So oh, okay. like, even though he was exposed to this stuff, but um, I don't know. In some ways, I wonder if he exposed the the Germans to this kind of stuff. Well, I don't know about that because, you know, the Germans have a heavy occult background. Um, yeah. But there was another psychic that was hanging around Hitler and some of the high level Nazis as well. But they um, they ended up killing him and sending him to a camp or something because he was he was able to tell them about some of their classified projects that he you know got the information through psychic means. And, you know, at some point that scared them. And so they killed him. But, but you know, the, the Third Reich definitely had its own esoteric and occult background, you know, with yeah. the Tula Society and, and all their secret societies that kind of uh, midwife the Nazis into action. So right. and then you also have I don't lend too much credence to this story, but you have that the channeling story with Maria Orsic and, and the other medium who supposedly channeled these these aliens from Aldebaran to build <laughs> UFO and all this nonsense. Right. But it does involve channeling. So there is that story but i don't lend a lot of credence to that one right well that's the thing i didn't bring up earlier about the jack parsons thing if you look at this from the aspect that the the spirit world is a reality i wonder how much of these uh projects and the push to do certain things are influenced by spirits themselves like we know like okay so basically the father of modern rocketry is jack parsons and he was a thelemite and he was trying to summon babylon um I've heard people say before that basically, uh, you know, John D. built the British Empire on the advice of spirits, and that right. for some reason yeah. these these at least one faction of spirits want to push for some reason, and it's interesting because you look at um, some of the German stuff, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name now, but he believed that he was channeling the um, the spirit of some like Teutonic king. I think that existed uh, in Germany. Rudolf von Zabottendorf. Yeah, like uh, one of those guys, and he he sort of saw like 
the spirits were basically telling him, you know, to conquer the world for Germany, you know, and and then you have um, a lot of people who were involved in like the Bell Corporation and stuff like that who had sessions and. I wonder just how much of this stuff gets influenced by people getting in contact with spirits. I would think a lot. You know, when you just mentioned that channel session, uh, Peter Lavenda talks about a group called the Nine. Um, yeah, that's what I'm talking yep. about. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, the yeah. Nine. Yep. So I, I would, I would, uh, I would venture to say that's probably the case. You know, a lot of folks also were saying that um, Hitler had some entity that he was talking to, or he may have been. Well, everybody said he was possessed, but there is a story about him talking to some kind of entity, you know, a demon or an alien or whatever that was kind of directing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he called it the future man or something like that. Yeah, and he was talking about he was super scared of it or afraid of it. or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that kind of stuff towards the end of his life. He was also just methed out like yeah, crazy. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was <out> like crazy. <laughs> yeah. you know, but when you, um, you know, they had a whole uh, uh, branch of the government devoted to this, right? The SS Ananerbi, the Ancestral yeah, Research yeah. Division. Um, I would love to get a hold of original documents but i've got a couple books uh where they talk about it and basically you know their job was to go out all over the world and try to find uh, you know traces of atlantis the german atlantis but what they focused heavily on was the technology you know and and the spirit technology so they would record a lot of spirit folk tales and incantations and all of this stuff you know like recorded on tape or video and bring it all back to germany and study and find out how we can apply this to our our you know weird theory we got going on here yeah that's why i was i was wondering if the soviets you know got any of that stuff and that would be the only way a lot of that stuff would you know come out but uh i think the bulk that yeah, on a nerby research you know some of it went to the west but i think just like the bell i think all the good stuff you know went to argentina with borman yeah that would make sense if they really valued it like that yeah because they definitely, plenty of them had ample opportunity to get out and take whatever they wanted with them. Then you have the U-boats and everything. So oh, without a doubt. I mean, this was a this was a concerted effort that was that you know after uh, fall of, after uh, Stalingrad, you know once they realized they wasn't going to win this war, they started a whole uh, evacuation plan in '43. So they they dictated the terms of what you know basically America got all the high level. Scientists, you know, Von Braun, Kurt Tevis, mm-hmm. Arthur Rudolph, all these guys. The Soviets got all the middle managers, but these middle managers could re- recreate the project. So it was kind of a very even split of the spoils that got divided. And this, I feel, was on purpose to set up the Cold War. That's always been a German political position play the East against the West. Play the East against the West, so, you know, yeah. 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 Yeah, they were called the third way or the third position. Yeah, but how much of the yeah. East versus West thing was even just an illusion? Because I've heard, you know, kind of whispers that, um, you know, there was a tacit agreement between United States and Russia that they, you know, that they would put up the facade of being enemies. But they were basically like, OK, well, you guys control that part of the world. And we'll control this part of the world and we'll pretend like we hate each other. But we're really not going to, like, get into a war. I think yeah. that. Well, that's what that flyer said, right, Ren? Yeah. That flyer that I read. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
you know, Richard Hoagland also kind of says something like this where he when he talks about the uh, the various launches that went on during the space race for satellites and whatnot. When, he, you know, he had a layout table of the launch dates and it looked like nothing but coordination. Right. America will launch a satellite or two. Then Russia will go with one or two. Then America like it was so coordinated that this could not be two separate programs launching independent of each other. Like there was some kind of uh, collusion there. Very interesting. I didn't know we were going to get so much into the mind control stuff, too. That was cool, because that's, uh-huh. that's one of my favorite subjects this, as well. This, this conversation just veered in many different ways, which, <laughs> I'm, cool. which I'm happy about. Uh, guys, any final thoughts on this before we go? This was great. All love once. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Ren? Yeah, um, don't let Getty Lee get you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Or Neil Peart or Alex Olifson, either one. <laughs> yeah, they're the masters of my control technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sergio, is there anything that you wanted to to, to conclude this no, I'm, section? I'm, I'm totally satisfied. I think this was a, a great discussion, uh, and I like where it where it went, and uh, it all kind of ties in and relates to itself, and it's all very timely right now, and the implications for it is very, very large. Matt, if people have any questions or want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, they can send me an email. Up. It's ramses.le.ottimo at gmail.com. Cool. Yeah, we've got the psychotronic weapons coming in, even <laughs> on the Skype tonight. So, And, and Ren, where can everybody... Uh, get in touch with you if they uh, if they want to if they want to yell at us for having the uh, communist on again. <laughs> Feel free to uh, visit my blog at liminalroom.com. Send me an email. Um, I'm on Twitter uh, at Mister underscore Apol, and um, you can also find me on shows like Where Did the Road Go. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, Thanks a lot, guys. Very good. Uh, Stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out. And, guys, we'll be back to close the show on Good Spirit Normal. So I just kind of sat back on this one because I really didn't know a lot about the subject. Thanks, man. It was it was great. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Like what uh, did it meet your expectations as far as what we talked about? Yeah, or? we talked about everything I want to talk about. It's just, um, you know, it's such a it's it's so unique. There's so many paradoxes in it. It's a study of russian civilization and ideology and history yeah and these big spiritual questions and then we really got into the mind control stuff after that and so you know it was it was excellent yeah we veered into the territory of american mind control and and uh the psi research which i think you know it kind of all goes hand in hand yeah because the cold war was that was an aspect to the cold war we were basically in a 
psychic war. Who knows what was actually going on? Who knows what's going on now? Because it's probably the same people. Yeah, so what I was talking about, and people can go back and listen to this when I said that we had somebody on that I think was involved with, with this, because they were talking about the, um, the psychic, uh, the experimentation on children. Monarch, yeah. And Alta Dillard, when we had her on, Chad and Alter, this is before you, you came around, mm-hmm. uh, but you might have heard that show. And that was mostly about her kind of like psychic experiences, uh, high strangeness, and uh, possible UFO abduction experience in the French Quarter. Really interesting. I remember that. And, and she, in the very beginning, she talked about going to yes, somewhere yes. in some weird Colorado. institute. Yeah, some some weird place for children where there is almost like akira or something yeah and they were doing psychic testing on her and that's yeah. all she remembers and it, i and i i just i spent probably like 10 minutes talking to her about that because i was like wait a minute because i had heard of that kind of stuff that it, that it happened and if, have you seen akira no oh dude it's no. like the biggest anime of all time but it's it's about uh, um this you know weird psychic experiments on children and this kind of i guess transhumanist trying to you know find the next step in evolution and it going wrong getting out uh-huh. of control and basically this kid becoming uh doing the same thing that happened before you know they had the experiments before and like it created a huge catastrophe and then the, this this kid nowadays is is turning into uh I mean, it's basically like a almost a Christ type of mind and or spirit and matter merging into this next step of evolution, but it's just causing total chaos and destruction on this planet. And but yeah, that's what that was all about. So I, I was really into that as a kid, and then then I found out about all this like monarch stuff and and Montauk and all this stuff that centers around children and psychic abilities. So it it definitely hit a root, you know. Oh uh-huh. no! I've I've heard of Akira, but I've never actually oh, dude, I've yeah. never actually seen it. Got to see it. Man. So it sounds like I need awesome. to see that. It, yeah, it sounds like it's right it's up the best right anime of all time, man. It's, yeah, but yeah, that's so. I was interested in that, and it's interesting that here's somebody that that I think possibly was a part of this, and now has had these kind of strange experiences for a good deal of her life. So, because she wasn't even like. It was really vague to her. That's what I remember from yeah, listening to Yeah, she didn't remember it. a lot of it. And it wasn't something that was, like, totally integral to the whole story or something that she was really trying to, like, play on or anything. It was, like, you know, it yeah, seemed she really honest. Yeah, she mentions it yeah. in passing. Yeah, I mean, that's that was the thing about that, uh, about that interview was that I... You know, first of all, I really enjoyed it, and second of all, I really feel like you know they're 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 telling the truth as they understand it. What that all makes me think about too is that in um, you know, like we we talked about all the we've been talking about all the uh, uh, the the mythos going on in the conspiracy world and the, like all this pedophilia stuff and all this other st- stuff and mm-hmm. like. You know, maybe there's a lot deeper things to it than this, like, surface-level pedophilia shit. Yeah, I was going to mention, uh, but I wanted to keep, to keep the guys talking, was about the Finders case. Yeah. That the 
when the police asked the two men that had these dirty, unkempt children that they had keeping in the back of their van where they were taking the children, they said they were taking them to some special school somewhere. I think in Mexico. So, what is that? Weird. Yeah. 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 And they had all these kind of weird CIA connections, too. Um, There's been a couple of authors that have written about it. Uh, McGowan actually writes about that. I think we we mentioned that briefly when we talked about um, Program to Kill. So, there is that. I watched a documentary that just came out called Active Measures. Yes, you told me. About Trump and his relationship to Russia and Putin. Which you, you've been very skeptical. I've seen your evolution with this stuff. Yeah. Because you've uh, been you've been very skeptical and it's good to be skeptical. Uh, about especially big narratives that are pushed by mainstream media. But I've have seen your evolution in this, and I feel like you've kind of come around to like saying that there's really something to this stuff. I yeah. I jumped the gun really early. I want you to see it. Yeah, I will, I'll I'll check it out. We'll, about it okay, we'll talk about it on the next episode. Right. But I jumped the gun really early because of of uh, I'm kind of a Russophile, and I've studied a lot about Russia, and I've paid attention to how they've been trolling the right wing for so long now um and so i jumped the gun early and i was like basically throwing it in a lot of my right wing friends faces and like oh man you guys are getting played so bad blah blah you know during the early stages of the election when trump was becoming a serious candidate yeah and uh but yeah i definitely want to check it out sounds interesting i do still think as far as the wikileaks stuff that there could have been some people in the DNC that were disgruntled Bernie Sanders supporters that did leak some of that. Oh, absolutely. I still think that, that, that that's entirely possible and entirely plausible. Uh, whether it was Seth Rich or not, I don't know. Um, I, I'm, I do find the whole Seth Rich thing really weird and really really suspicious um but given how the russians are also known to kill people in very mysterious ways the you know who knows who knows actually could who could have done that but like i said i want you to see it and i'd like if, if rob is can be with us next week um i'd like him to watch it too he's gonna to see it because he's laying down being sick so he right. can definitely yeah. watch that'll it be a, that'll be a good one it is on hulu um and it's kind of gotten a lot of press especially in the left wing who made it um i don't know the name of the director uh he had gone on bill maher and oh bill wow maher had, like bill, bill maher had been really pushing it and so it finally came out, and I watched it. Uh, like I said, I, I don't want to go too fur- cool. much further into yeah, we'll it. Talk I want about you it, to see it. But it's relevant to what we were talking about yeah. today. And that's yeah. what, I mean, all this is so timely. And it's like if 
if the people in the former Soviet Union, mostly Russians, were on that kind of level like we explored with the mind control stuff tonight, then... I mean, what's going on now? And now that what's going well, there's on also here is this, going on. Is- there's also a part of this too that there's a there's a surrealist there is a very surrealist atmosphere to some of the stuff that the Russians do. Yeah, and, and it's almost as if they create they are creating this online and by extension real reality. Like just, they have just really become masters at perception management. Yeah. Well, we're talking about people who were employed by a authoritarian regime, and they got their jobs back. You know, they Russia did a great job of reintegrating the private sector under total control of the state. You know, it is a capitalist country. You know per se but it they know who's boss it's different it's this hybrid this hybrid authoritarian capitalist um thing and and but all these people who learned all these skills and all these people whose main job was to manipulate us i mean it's in high demand again and so i'm sure they're right back at their jobs. It's just they've got a different target and and, and newer jobs and newer concepts yeah. that were around when the Soviet Union, that were not around when the Soviet Union fell. I, I will say this as far as my evolution about this is I I see the Russians as trying to sow discord more than it was to try to get Trump elected. That makes that a lot of sense. That may have been a side effect. I don't necessarily and a very think opportune kind of, side yeah. effect for them, but I still think that people voted for Trump because they really believed in what he could do for them. Of course, and they also that there's the perception that Daily needed no prompting from the Russians that Hillary Clinton was pretty corrupt. Yeah. And a political opportunist herself. Absolutely. I've never particularly liked her myself, which is why I couldn't bring myself to vote for her. Right. But I really couldn't bring myself to vote for Trump either. Yeah. But I'm just one of those people that caused all this problem. Oh, that's apparently. what they say. That's yeah, what, we gotta that's, just that's keep, say, keep playing know. the game. Yeah. So... Yeah. Well, like I said, let's talk about it more next time. Cool. Uh, and uh, get your get your insights into it as well. And hopefully Rob. And shout out to Rob. Man, shout out to Rob. Yeah, he's just he's just having a hard time. So I want everybody to put your like, you know, positive vibes and your energy, your your thoughts and your prayers. Put those out to Rob over the next week that he is... Psych- to- aim your good psychotronic weapons... Exactly. ...towards Hermitage. Exactly. That, Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> that, that he will feel less stressed and, and more able to do things and uh, and uh, and be a, be a part of what, what's going on. Uh, we, we, we miss him, you know. So, 
All right. Well, I think that's it, man. Uh, I think we'll call it there. Next time, uh, we have Mark Stavish or Stavish. We're going to talk about a concept that I just recently heard of because I just recently heard of him called egregores, which are a kind of topa, tulpa. Mm. And I think that uh, this one will be pretty interesting. And it's a, it's like I think this book that I'm going to read about is only like 120 pages. Cool. So, Knock it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, guys, Patreon, we don't have any new episodes up, but we have a lot of them up. So uh, if you're interested in uh, throwing some money our way and getting something in return, go to www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal and also if you just want to leave the one time donation uh, www.conspiranormal.com which I don't do that as well as Rob that's why we need him among other things we're going to do a conspiranormal telethon soon so you guys look out Uh, Yeah, we need to talk about that (laughs) we we do need to talk about that and hopefully we're going to be appearing on some other podcasts soon, but uh, we'll talk about that as well. So, all right, guys, thanks so much. And I hope you enjoyed our little special about space communism our cosmism our Soviet psychic Cos- manipulation. Cosmic communism. <laughs> cosmic communism on Conspiranormal. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.